Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Christian love, whether exercised toward the brethren or toward men generally, is not an impulse from the feelings. It does not always run with the natural inclinations, nor does it spend itself only upon those for whom some affinity is discovered. Love seeks the welfare of all, and it works no ill to any. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of Mark. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Mark, chapter 12, verses 29 through 34, in a message titled, Loving God and People. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So, here we are in our series of studies through the Gospel of Mark, and we're coming now to the conclusion of the 12th chapter. And we want to touch on a few things here that we read in the passage, but I want to zero in today on the second great command. You remember we looked previously at the first and the greatest commandment, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But then Jesus didn't stop there. He went on to add to that. And so we're going to spend the majority of our time considering that. But before we do, just remember, this is the final week of the public ministry of Jesus. So once we finish chapter 12, that pretty much finishes the teaching of Jesus and the pushback, really, of Jesus against the religious leaders at the time. Chapter 13 is a chapter that deals almost exclusively with eschatology. Eschatology is a theological term that means the things concerning the last days. So chapter 13 is all about the future, things that had not yet happened at the time of Christ, and even things that have not yet happened even in our time that are yet future, pertaining to the second coming of the Lord. And then from there, we get into the final three chapters, 14, 15, and 16, which deal with the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. So here, finishing up the teaching portion, just touching on a couple of things in the text. The first thing that we note is that Jesus is clarifying for the men of his day who the Messiah is. So they were and still are to this very day, the Jewish people to this day, are mistaken about the nature of the Messiah. So they think, they thought then, they think now, that the Messiah is merely a man, and he's the son of David. And even in that time, they they thought that as well. So Jesus said, well, how is it, if he's the son of David, how is it that David calls him Lord? Because that was unheard of. You would not call your son Lord. And, of course, not only would you not call your son Lord, but the, the word for Lord is the word for the Lord, the God of Israel. It was clear that David understood that the Messiah, although he would be a human being and a descendant of him, David, he was also going to be God. And so Jesus clarifies for them that the Messiah is the Lord. And, of course, he was 
saying, I am he, I am the Messiah. And, and then the second thing we see is that he addressed the religious hypocrisy of the day. He warned his disciples about the scribes and the Pharisees, those who wanted to have the best places in the synagogues and all of that. And Jesus is saying, watch out for them and don't be like them. And then the final thing we see here in the end of the chapter is this widow woman who she gives an offering, which is very insignificant in the eyes of almost everyone. But God sees it as more significant than the offering of the wealthy. And that's because, as Jesus said, she gave out of her need. But I think the point there is just a reminder that God is, he's interested in the heart. It's the heart that matters to him. He wants people doing things uh, sincerely and from their heart. So these are kind of the, the final lessons that we have here in this 12th chapter. But now I want to take us back to verse 29 and look once again at the first and the great commandment. The question was asked to Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? He answered, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so here Jesus goes on and he adds something to his answer to what is the, the great commandment. Now, it's interesting. The question was not what are the greatest commandments, but what specifically what is the great commandment? And it seems like he would have just answered as he did with that first and great commandment and then left it at that, but he didn't leave it at that. Jesus added to it, and we have to ask ourselves the question, why? So, so why does Jesus connect these commandments together? Well, this is the reason. The reason he connects them together is because you can't really love God without loving people. You see, people, remember, are made in the image of God, and it's through our love for others that we demonstrate the fact that we love God. Loving people is one of the ways. It's not the only way that we show that we love God, but it's absolutely one of the ways. And if we don't love people, then our claim to love God is invalid. And we're actually told this by the Apostle John in his first letter, chapter 4, verse 20. Listen to what he says. He said, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. So that's why the connection is here. If we really love God, then we will also love people. Now, some people do claim to love God, but 
at the same time, it's obvious that they don't love people. Sometimes it's, it's a lot of people. Sometimes maybe it's a specific group of people. There are some people who in their religion, they uh, show their love for God by killing people. Now, that doesn't really make sense. And it's certainly inconsistent with the biblical picture, specifically the New Testament picture of what it is to love God. And so this is what we need to realize right from the beginning, that loving each other is right there alongside of loving God. And it's by doing that that we, that we demonstrate that we, we love God. Now, the word love here is the Greek word agape. And agape is an interesting word. We, I don't know that I, I don't hear it as much today as maybe I did you know, a couple decades ago. We used to talk a lot about uh, agape love, sing songs that had references to agape in it. But, but this is one of the words, and it's kind of the predominant word in the New Testament that is translated love. And the interesting thing about agape is that it really is a Christian word. It's a Christian word in as much as the Christians really defined it and the New Testament really defined it because even though it existed in the Greek language, it was kind of an unused word. It was a, an obscure sort of a word that nobody really ever used that often. And so when the Christians were looking to describe God's love, for example, they adopted this word and then they defined it. We have a definition of agape in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 3 through 7. And let me read it to you. You're, you're familiar with it, I think, but think about it in those terms. This is the Spirit's definition of the word love. And so reading from the NLT, the New Living Translation, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own, it is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love never fails. So that is the definition. If you want to know what the biblical definition of love is, this is really, you can't do much better than this. This is that definition. Now, we sometimes call agape love unconditional love. And it is, in a sense, unconditional love. It is undeserved love. It's love that flows from the lover simply because of really what's more in them. So God's love uh, for us isn't necessarily based on anything in us that causes him to love us. He loves us just because he is love. So when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, that's the word that he used. Now, another definition, and this is, this is a definition coming from a resource that I have called Vine's Expository Dictionary of the New Testament Words, and it is an attempted definition at the same word. So it says this, Christian love, whether exercised toward the brethren or toward men generally, is not an impulse from the feelings. It does not always run with the natural inclinations, nor does it spend itself only upon those for whom some affinity is discovered. 
Love seeks the welfare of all and works no ill to any. Love seeks opportunity to do good to all people and especially toward them that are of the household of faith. So I, I, I love this part here. I love where he says that it seeks the welfare of all and it works no ill to any. So that's the kind of love that we're talking about. God's love for people. And God's love for people is to be expressed through his people. Now, now notice also, it speaks here about the fact that this love is not an impulse from feelings. It does not always run with the natural inclinations. So in other words, it's not a natural love. This isn't something that we possess. This is something that God possesses and imparts to us through his presence in our lives. Now, we've all probably had the experience of struggling with loving somebody. Anybody ever have that experience? It's common, right? And, you know, some people are fairly easy to love. As some people, you know, maybe it's a little more challenging. For some, you think it's impossible. These people are so, they're just difficult people. How can I love a person like that? Well, you probably can't. But guess what? God does love them. And here's what God does. God will love them through you. His love will flow through you to them. And as his love flows through you, that, of course, it's not like there's... (laughs) You know, it's not like there's one side like, here's my love. I hate these people over here. But then there's this God thing that's going on that's, I don't, you know, I got to be nice to them. It's not that. It's that as God's love flows through us, God's love changes the way we feel. You know, I've seen this many, many times. And I've even experienced it to some degree. And perhaps you have as well. You know, sometimes when a person is converted, one of the things that, they will note is that they just had a love for people that they didn't have before. They suddenly just loved everybody. That's a real experience. What is that? That's the spirit of God. That's the Holy Spirit that comes into us and then imparts to us that love and then flows that love through us. So that's what we're talking about here. And Jesus says that we are to love our neighbor. So here's the question. Who is our neighbor? Now, the word neighbor means, it really means someone who is nearby. So in the biblical context, you would have thought, first of all, of the people right there, your immediate connections, whether they be family connections or people in your community or whatever the case might be. The word is translated friend, fellow citizen, another person. But there's a great story that Jesus told that helps us understand who our neighbor is. It's a story we commonly call the Good Samaritan. You remember that story? Well, in Luke chapter 10, that's recorded for us, a similar situation as the one we read here in Mark. It's a different context. So it's, it's the same question, but just in a different context asked by a different person. But the question is, What's the great commandment? And Jesus says the same thing there that he said here. Love God with all your heart, 
love your neighbor as yourself. But the person that Jesus said that to then responded back, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? You know, love your neighbor. What, what does that mean? I mean, that's, you know, who, who are we referring to? And Jesus tells a story to illustrate who the neighbor is. And it's called the Good Samaritan because the story ends up being about a Samaritan who helped a man who had fallen among the thieves and robbers and been beaten half to death. This Samaritan comes along and helps him, assists him, takes him and, and gets him cared for and pays the cost of it. Now, in the story, though, Jesus tells that there were three people that encountered this man. Only the one, the Samaritan, helped him. So the first two, one of them was a priest. He couldn't be bothered. He was on his way to do his religious duty. And the other is a Levite who's kind of like a priest, but a little bit different. And he's the same way. He doesn't have time for the person. So they pass him by, leave him on the road, half dead. But the Samaritan comes along and tends to him. Now, maybe you remember, here's the interesting thing. In that culture, the Samaritans were despised by most of the Jews. They looked down upon them. They thought of them as being lesser, inferior. Their religion was not really the true religion. And there was great tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. So Jesus, I think, intentionally uses a Samaritan as an example. And what he's showing that the Samaritan is doing is he's helping the person who even would be more considered like an adversary. Because it was somewhat of an adversarial relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. So in other words, what Jesus is really saying here is in, in answer to the question, who is my neighbor? He's saying, everyone's your neighbor. Even the, even the person from that people group you don't like. They're your neighbor too. Whoever is in need is your neighbor. So the command to love your neighbor as yourself is really a command to love everybody. That's what God calls us to do. Now, I don't have to tell you this, but I will anyway. We live in a world that is increasingly growing loveless. We live in a world full of tension and conflict and debate and hostility and People are angry and, you know, people just, they hate. And, you know, this, this week, and this is not the first time this sort of thing has happened, but, you know, some person who was known, I won't mention their name, but, you know, they passed away this week. And because they belonged to a certain political party, people in the other political party were cheering the fact that they died. All right, he's dead. That's great. You know, that's the attitude in the culture today. Now, that's about as far from what Jesus is talking about here as you can get, rejoicing in the death of a person just because you disagreed with their political views or whatever. But that's where we're at. So since that's the climate that we live in, when we, God's people, take God's word to heart and put it into practice and love other people, that is huge. That's a mind blower. That's like, wow, these Christians are different. And, and that's the thing that is really to mark us. And Jesus said that himself. He said, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. 
And I think we have, all of us have done this, where we thought other things were going to be the mark of the disciple. And we put the emphasis on the other things and we've just neglected to love. But Jesus said, no, that's going to be the real witness to people. Now, so who do we love? We love our neighbor. Who is our neighbor? Our neighbor is anyone, everyone. Now, remember that, that quote from Vines where it says this. It says, love seeks the welfare of all and works no ill to any. I love that. Seeks the welfare of all, works no ill to any. And then he goes on and he's basically paraphrasing or almost quoting from Galatians, love seeks opportunity to do good to all people, especially toward them that are of the household of faith. So how are we to love our neighbor? We're to love our neighbor as ourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now think about this for a moment. This is, this is so practical and so easy, really, at least easy in the sense of I, I can understand this. Loving your neighbor as yourself, Jesus put it in a slightly different way when he said this, whatever you want people to do to you, do also to them. So when I think about practically, well, how do I love my neighbor or how do I, you know, how do I put this into practice? Well, okay, I love them as myself. Well, what, what do I like? What wouldn't I like? How do I want to be spoken to? How do I want to be treated? Well, I, I can easily tell you how I don't want to be spoken to. I know I don't want people to be rude. I don't want people to be harsh. I don't want people to be condescending. And so, okay, I don't like that. Well, nobody else likes that either. So if I'm going to treat others like I want to be treated, I'm not going to be that way toward them ever because I don't want to be treated that way. I don't want to receive a mean email from somebody telling me all the things they dislike about me or whatever. I, 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 don't, I don't like that. So, you know, I'm not going to send a mean email to somebody else. I do not like it when people go on social media and say bad things about me. So guess what? I'm not going to do that to somebody else. So, you see, if we just think in those terms, loving our neighbor as ourselves, it, it makes it pretty easy practically to just know there are just certain things that... I would not want anybody to do to me or say about me, so therefore I am not going to do those things to anybody else either. And boy, if we started practicing life like that, if we started living like that, you know, people are oftentimes complaining about, oh, you know, God, the God of the Bible, the Christian God, you know, if there's a God, there's a God of love, why is the world so messed up? Why is it like this? Well, I'll tell you why it's like this. It's really simple, because nobody obeys God. If everybody obeyed God, you know, if today, right now, if everybody in the world just decided for the next 24 hours, we are going to love our neighbor as ourselves. For the next 24 hours, we're going to do to others only what we would want them to do for us. The world would be changed overnight. See, the problem is not God. God's told us how to live. And if we all live the way God said to live, the world would be a pleasant place to live in. I mean, isn't it true that so often 
the problems that make us the most uncomfortable or, you know, bother us the most or make life the most troublesome to us. It's, it's because of what people are doing. September, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled A London Sparrow, the inspiring and true story of Gladys Allward by Phyllis Thompson. The story of Gladys Allward is one that inspires. God used Gladys Allward to reach the lost in China during a period of peril and war. The story is one that is transparent about her weaknesses and mistakes, but it's also a story of God's strength made perfect through weaknesses, God's promised provision, and a life surrendered to God. If you have a longing for God to use your life, but have been discouraged by setbacks or doubts that God can use you, you need to get this book. You'll be inspired by what God can do through a life that is willing to follow Him. The book A London Sparrow, The Inspiring and True Story of Gladys Allward by Phyllis Thompson is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of Mark. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.